What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Mintz. And I'm Jordan Schusterman. And we are the hosts of Baseball Barbacast. And we are so excited to be back recording a podcast together Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for the 2024 Major League Baseball season. I am so excited for this year, Jake. Yeah, we are here with Yahoo Sports. Our time off of podcasting has weighed on me heavy. I've been delivering baseball takes to inanimate objects. So I'm rearing to get back to talking ball with my buddy. So join us on Baseball Barbercast. We're going to have a good time. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Scott Pianowski, picking up the hosting duties on Tuesday. I've been looking forward to this one for a really long time because I get to talk to Pat Fitzmorris, who's one of my best friends and just, I think, one of the greatest people in our industry. He, he's smart, he's wise, he's tempered, he's got all sorts of interests outside of football. And when, when I need clarity on things, I go to Pat. When, when I'm maybe in a bit of a riled up mood, need to relax, I go to Pat. When I want to talk music or golf, I, I do go to Pat. And uh, when I need to do a podcast, we're going to go to Pat. You, you probably know his work at thefootballgirl.com, doing great work over at the Melissa Jacobs site. He's also a recent pickup of the football guys. I'm curious to hear what's going on with that. Anyway, my friend Pat, how are you doing today? Oh, Scott, uh, what a flattering introduction. Uh, just, I'm honored to be here talking to you, one of my best friends in the industry, one of the smartest people in, this, in the industry, and to talk to you know fantasy football with you for 50 minutes or so. Really, the only way this could be any better would be if we were doing it on the golf course. So um, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I feel like we're doing it on the golf course. I'm wearing a golf shirt. You're wearing a golf uh, manufacturer hat. So, um, you know, if, if any golf company wants to sponsor this football podcast, you know, we're open. Make <laughs> us an offer. See what we can do. Um, okay, so let's let's jump into it, Pat. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be our lead item because who doesn't like to talk about a 115 football team? But, you know, there's a lot of buzz here, right? They took Trevor Lawrence, number one pick. He's been tabbed a future star for, for years. Urban Meyer, of course, had a very successful college career as a coach and now he's the head coach and there's good skill talent here and keep in mind the Jaguars they they should have won three four maybe four and a half games by their Pythagorean last year they they really weren't a one in 15 team there was talent here James Robinson popped out of nowhere so uh you you can start anywhere you want you can start with Meyer if you want you can start with with Lawrence if you want um we know they drafted Travis Etienne who's been getting some wide receiver work early in camp uh, give me an overview, and then maybe we can zero in more on specific things. Just how you feeling about the Jaguars from a fantasy scope or even an NFL scope? Yeah, I like that you mentioned the Pythagorean and how this really wasn't that bad a team. They're just uh, much better at tanking than the, the New York Jets, apparently. And, um, you know, the spoils of that were Trevor Lawrence and uh, pretty good spoils. I mean, a guy who I think is going to step in right away and and have – something close to QB one, low end QB one value as a rookie. Um, you know, not only a, a terrific passer with a good resume, but you know, he runs and I don't think urban Myers, the kind of coach who's going to discourage running from him. But uh, yeah, like I can't wait to see how all this plays out with urban Meyer. I don't know about you. I mean, I know you're a Midwestern guy too. So we've certainly had some exposure to urban over the years and um you know, I guess I got to, as a Wisconsin fan, reluctantly tip my hat to him for everything he was able to accomplish in uh, Columbus, Ohio. But it, it's funny how public opinion sort of turned on him for this weekend and for the Travis Etienne wide receiver work. I mean, you would think he was just trying to, to bring the Veer offense to the NFL or something. Um, I don't think it's it's anything to get too worked up about in a rookie minicamp we want him to get passing down work, right? We want him to spend some time in the slots and be used in, in Alvin Kamara esque fashion. Like that's a good thing. I don't think it necessarily salvages James Robinson's uh, running back one credential. I don't think it necessarily, you know, kills LaVisca Chenault's potential since he's 
kind of a Swiss army knife guy too. I think all that's kind of a little overblown and I'm not really fundamentally changing the value of any of those guys uh, based on the, the mini camp usage. Let's talk about Robinson a little bit. I, I was involved in the fantasy football index, their mock draft and their salary cap draft, which will both be in their magazine that comes out this summer. And, you know, much love to Ian Allen and the people, Andy Richardson, the people put out that magazine. I think it's a really fine periodical and I'm proud to be in it. I wound up with James Robinson on both of my rosters and it was not by any way by design. Just when we were drafting, I thought it got to a point where I thought he was a good value. I took him. And I, I think Jeff Ratcliffe wanted to have fun with me by taking ETM with the next pick just to like show, you know, I probably screwed up by taking Robinson. And then I ended up with him in the, in the salary cap um, format too. And it wasn't, it's not like I'm pounding the table for James Robinson. I'm really not sure how to feel about him. And this is to me, one of the most difficult things we have to figure out. Cause I think with fantasy, I'm not pretending to be a scout. I've watched football for many years. I can intelligently break down the game, but I'm not Greg Cosell, and I will never pretend that I'm Greg Cosell or any of the other fine people who do that type of work for a living. I, I don't have that level of sophistication with it. I'm just somebody who I think is good at reading tea leaves. And one of the most difficult things for me is when you get a guy like Robinson, undrafted, comes in, plays great, never pretty much comes off the field. He's like a 90. I think he might have played 90% of the snaps or more than that. He was certainly a three-down player. Now there's a new organization, a new coach, and a new front office. And they these guys aren't tied to James Robinson. He didn't play football for them last year. And what do they immediately do? Just to kind of troll Robinson, uh, fantasy uh, keeper owners, they sign Carlos Hyde, you know, Ohio State guy, right? Urban Meyer. And then they draft a running back in the first round. So it's not that – I'm not being silly here. There's no extreme opinion. It's not like Robinson's going to be kicked to the curb or won't have a role on this team. But I, I struggle when somebody broke out out of nowhere, and now the people who were tied to him in that decision, they're all out of the building now. The quarterback's different. The coach is different. The organization is different. What is your take right now on James Robinson? Yeah, uh, this is going to be fascinating to see the sort of uh, low pedigree back who comes in and just immediately performs well above expectations and has a terrific rookie season versus the highly pedigreed first round running back who hasn't proven anything in the NFL yet. So yeah, the, like if, if the Hyde signing hadn't happened, I think I would have been a little more bullish on Robinson. Uh, you know, I do think based on what we saw from Urban Myers offenses in college that they're going to be probably tilting a little run heavy. Uh, offensively, I, I would guess. But yeah, I mean, now it's a little crowded. I don't think they're going to have ETN play just sort of a, a passing down back type of role, a satellite back role. So yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I do think Robinson's value is threatened, but he goes from being a probable second round pick in fantasy drafts had the Jaguars not added another back you know, to being a guy who's a, a reasonable throw in what the, the sixth, seventh round committee back price, um, you know, that that price seems reasonable. I don't think they're going to totally cut him out of the picture entirely. But, you know, if they really do like ETN a lot, give him a pretty meaty role and have some sort of role in mind for Hyde. I mean, there's a, a chance that Robinson is going to be the kind of guy you don't feel good about putting in your starting lineup uh, on a week to week basis. Talk about Lawrence a little bit. Now, uh, he's he's a pretty easy call for the the general league that only plays one quarterback. You know, you could take him as a second guy, an upside player. In some leagues, he might even percolate on the waiver wire if he has one of those. Remember Cam Newton's first game? You know, he's on a bunch of waiver wires. He smashes first game. Everybody grabs him. He ends up a viable fantasy player right away. If you were, say, in a super flex format where you need that second quarterback to be reliable, do you feel confident enough in Lawrence's floor that – He's going to be, I don't know, QB 12, QB 14, QB 16 right away. Or do you think it's more, oh, okay, he's a buzzy name. Somebody's going to want him more than I will. I'm just curious if you feel like you're going to be underweight, overweight, or maybe at ADP on Lawrence. I think I'll be overweight. I, I think I'll have him in a couple of redraft leagues. Um, I think there's QB 1 potential for sure. What you like is there's no question that he's going to be the starter from day one there. It's not going to be a, a three-game apprenticeship holding the clipboard. We know that. The talent around him is pretty good. And and again, as I mentioned before, like he has that, that rushing ability, kind of an underrated part of his game. And I don't think Urban Meyer is going to discourage that. You know, might might encourage him to slide, get used to sliding in the NFL. But 
so yeah, I, I think he does have a safe, you know, high to mid QB two floor. And, uh, I think there's top 10 potential even as a rookie. Right. I mean, it's exciting to me that, and we talked earlier about the Jaguars really being better than the one in 15 record would suggest so many times when some a quarterback is drafted really early, he's going to a team that's hopeless. That's like, Oh, you just can't even imagine. And, and I'm not saying the Jaguars are going to be good, but I can imagine the offense being frisky and, and a big part of that, you know, DJ Chark two years ago was a breakout star and Chenault, was very fascinating player last year who can do a lot of different things. They bring over Marvin Jones, who's getting kind of at that age we get worried about with receivers, and he is changing teams, which can sometimes can be a little tricky, although it sure wasn't tricky for receivers who changed teams last year. Man, did I get bitten on that trope. But the, the point is, Trevor Lawrence, I'm not going to say the fridge is stocked for him, but it's not empty. There's not like a, just a bottle of mustard and ketchup in there. I mean, there are things that can make him, that can elevate him. He could throw a pass to some of these guys. They may run 40 or 50 yards with it. I think they give him a chance to be successful. Of the three receivers, of Jones, Chark, and Chenault, which one do you imagine might be on your rosters the most this year? Probably at cost, Chenault. I, I think he people were ready for him to pop right away as a rookie. It didn't happen. I think that's going to tamp down the price a little bit this year. I think he's generally in the lower end wide receiver three range right now. And, um, you know, I... I with even with Travis Etienne's possible Swiss Army knife usage, if if that really does become a thing with Urban Meyer, you know, using him in sort of uh, the same way that he used Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel in the past, we know that Lavisca Chenault can do those things too because he did it at Colorado. Was used as a runner, was used you know in, out of the backfield in the slot. Like we saw some of that last year with him. You know, we just kind of didn't see it consistently we didn't see them really endeavor to get him the ball I think we might see more of that you know it's a team that's not especially strong at tight end so maybe Chenault can kind of play that sort of a role too as as the short route over the middle guy yeah so I'm I'm pretty excited about his potential at a fairly modest cost although I you know I've learned to love Marvin Jones over the years because he's one of those uh Raul Abanez all-stars you like to talk about who right, the boring vet yeah boring vet who just uh keeps trucking every year and uh you know I'm kind of a DJ Chark fan too so like I'm kind of interested in, in all these guys and I would not be surprised if I walk away with at least one Jags receiver in like more than 50 percent of my drafts this year yeah I'll be I'll be open-minded if not all altogether proactive with these guys too and I like that you mentioned that because there's no major factor at tight end this is a big part of fantasy I for a lot of years I've been looking at which trees which usage trees are narrow which which usage trees are more wide and spread and a lot of times what it comes down to is is there a tight end taking away 55 catches or is there is this a team that uses a fullback that may throw you know Kyle Huszczyk you know 37 passes or whatever or some of those teams you know Sean Payton never met a a nobody on this roster he didn't want to funnel a touchdown to not to mention we don't even know who his quarterback is I mean the Saints are a really difficult team so uh, I think the Jaguars are going to be fun I think they're going to be frisky um I'll, I'll miss Gardner Minshew who was kind of one of my favorite players I was in on Minshew last year and in Unfortunately, you know, Doug Marone, I think they pulled the plug way too quick on Minshew. I'm not saying he's necessarily an NFL answer, but I think he could have a Ryan Fitzpatrick career. I'm, I'm predicting it now. Gardner Minshew will sign with some team in his mid to late 30s and will be seen the way Ryan Fitzpatrick is now. Like, oh, oh my God, we finally have a pretty good quarterback to get the ball to Terry McLaurin. We're going to be saying that about Gardner Minshew and I don't know, 2036. So mark that down. And I want you guys to come back to me and say, you were right, P&L. You, you said this 15 years ago. So a lot of fun with the Jaguars. Let's pivot to something, a uh, segment I'm going to call Fade Into You, a little nod to Mazzy Star, 1990s. We both came out with our original set of rankings. You know, yours can be found, I believe, the football girl. And uh, mine, of course, are on Yahoo. And I'm, I'm contributing some magazines as well. And for me, my process I'm glad that I don't have to do a ton of heavy fantasy work before the draft. I like to see where everybody goes first before I get dug in on who, who's better than who, because you just don't know system, the environment, the nurturing, all that is so important. So, but now that's over. Free agency is coming on and the draft is coming on. We know what team everybody's on with, with a couple of exceptions of, you know, which we may talk about later. And for me, Pat, when I'm starting to flesh out those rankings and they, and look, you got to get the reps in, right? I'm going to start best ball drafting. I'm going to, I'm going to start, 
getting my reps in. And you know, a lot of times you need to have that draft to figure out how you feel about certain pockets of value or do you like this player over that player? But one of the first things I do when my rankings start to crystallize is I identify, you know what? I really don't like that team. I really don't like that player. I really don't like that situation, that offensive line, whatever. And I'm starting to already see, yeah, I'm out on this guy. I'm out on that guy. And so we talked a little bit before the show. We had a couple of text message exchanges and I wanted to get some of your fades and some, and I matched them up with some of my fades. And it seems like, look, I'm an Arthur Smith guy. And, and I think the Falcons have, have generally been a good source for fantasy production, usually a narrow tree. Matt Ryan, outside of that one MVP year, has mostly been just like an average to above average quarterback, but he's been fine, generally stays healthy. You had Matt Ryan on your fade list. You had Julio Jones on your fade list. And I have Kyle Pitts on my fade list. So it sounds like we're trying to relegate the, the Falcons to the CFL here. Uh, explain to our listeners why you don't want Ryan or Julio this year. So it's always based on cost. And I was looking at post-draft, post-NFL draft ADPs for some of the best ball formats for FFPC and uh, Fanball. And like Ryan's cost wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I, I think there might be some hype, especially, I mean, part of it, I guess, is that it's kind of the Sharks who are doing best balls right now. But, you know, the the public sort of comes in, in in July and August, and we see sometimes the more narrative-driven stuff with the ADPs. And I think one of the things we're going to see is that Matt Ryan is going to be spiked by having Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and Kyle Pitts as his pass catchers, and, you know, not having a real obvious stud running back there. So I think people are going to maybe over project Matt Ryan in uh, redraft this year. And I mean, he, I believe led the NFL in pass attempts last year and just barely crept into quarterback one territory. I think he was 12th in fantasy scoring. I mean, he's, we've seen the yards per attempt, as you've said before, it's, it's not a perfect stat, but it's a good back of the napkin indicator of, of QB effectiveness. We've seen that kind of tick down for Matt Ryan the last few years. I think he's sort of going to get overdrafted based on situation and the attractiveness of that pass catching group. So just a guy I'm kind of going to be drafting around this year. And, uh, you know, Julio, it's just to the point where the injuries have me concerned. I, I think I kind of probably won't ever have him again in in any league i'm guessing like he's just he's earned the respect of course and i think he uh you know he's always going to get that respect in drafts and i'm just a little too fearful of the the downside now there's more target competition i suppose too so um you know even if the price drops a little bit i i don't think it's going to drop far enough for me to be interested He's probably the easiest player for me to, to scratch off my list. He's, I'm not going to draft him for a few reasons. And look, the guy's a walk-in Hall of Famer, one of the best players I've ever seen. And as a Patriots fan, I'd, I'd like to thank the Falcons for only targeting him four times in that famous Super Bowl. Uh, of course, Julio still made one of the greatest catches I've ever seen. Do you want to see one of the greatest catches you've ever seen? Put the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Somebody will make one of the greatest catches of all time against them, but only four targets. But Look, he's never been – he's really been kind of the souped-up version of Andre Johnson, just a, tar- a target machine, a yardage machine, a physical freak. But the touchdown column has generally been light. And if we were always to look at the players – and we talked earlier about Marvin Jones. I mean, you're always getting good ADP value on Jones. The thing with Julio is you have to draft him like he's going to be a god. And if you were to always try to be a year early on the guys like Julio Jones when they hit the decline versus a year late, I think you'd be ahead of that game most of the time. And there's also talk that maybe the Falcons will be interested in trading him. It's hard for the NFL to make trades except for very specific windows. We know their trading deadline. The NFL is almost always a dud. It's extremely rare to see a big trade happen in the summer. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it it's still kind of out there. Maybe there's a, what, a 5% chance, a 10% chance. But maybe Ridley's the alpha here now. Pitts is going to be a mouth to feed. So, yeah, I'm, I'm out on Julio. The thing with Matt Ryan and I know you also had Tom Brady on your fade list because I'm, I'm sure you just want to hurt me as a Patriots fan. You just had to jab it in there. There are so many Pat. There's so many great athletic quarterbacks who either pad their fantasy stats by running or they actually drive them by running. I mean, we've never seen 
this group with, with Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton has the most rushing touchdowns in history at the quarterback position. He's gone over double digit touchdown three years in a row. And he's not even one of the guys we want anymore. Dak Prescott will run in a handful every year. Kyler Murray is unstoppable when he runs. Lamar Jackson is an amazing runner. Josh Allen would, you know, with seven, eight, nine rushing touchdowns would be projected on anybody's sheet. If you're going to be a pocket quarterback, man, everything, every, every I better be dotted, every T better be crossed, and everything really needs to fall right because Matt Ryan is going to run for 78 yards and maybe a touchdown. You're getting nothing from him. He's spotting the rest of the field, all that easy Rich Rebar cheat, you know, Konami cheat code. I feel like two thirds of the league is doing that now. You mentioned Lawrence earlier, who I think is going to probably run in five or six touchdowns. You're getting none of that from Ryan. Exactly, none of that from Ryan, none of that from Brady. And and honestly, Scott, I'm not trying to hurt you. Uh, you know, part of the part of the Brady thing is I think it's just the actuarial tables involved here with the age. Uh, I mean, we are in nearly uncharted territory. I think the only other quarterbacks since the merger to have made starts at age 44 are. Uh, what Warren Moon, Steve DeBerg, and Vinny Testaverde. Vinny Testaverde. And yeah. v- Vinny was the only one, I believe, with multiple starts, like six in his last year with the the Panthers. So um, I love Vinny Testaverde's career. I mean, he was he was a mess early on, but he hung on forever, and he I and mean, he was like a borderline MVP candidate with the Jets. I may we all age as gracefully as Testaverde. Let's, let's hold off on Brady for one second. I just want to mention Kyle Pitts and get Atlanta. Put a point on them. Why, why do we as a fantasy industry do this? We say, okay, rookie tight ends, you can't really trust them. But wait, wait a minute, Kyle Pitts is different. He's generational. He's not like the other guys. And I get it. He's a hybrid receiver. He's not going to have his hand on the ground that often. It's not like they, they brought him in to block and to chip people and everything. They brought him in to be basically a jumbo wide receiver. But if you've, if you've been trading rookie tight ends for your entire fantasy lifeline you know whatever it's been if you've been playing since the 90s since the 2000s if you're a relatively new player it doesn't matter if you've been ignoring the fantasy tight ends and we've seen some great ones i'm a huge Noah fan guy i'm a huge tj hawkinson guy but even then they didn't do that much when they first got introduced to the game because there's other people already on the team the position is complicated i see i've seen in some drafts pitts go as high as the fourth or fifth tight end i, I just think that's Wanting to be in on the buzzy new toy, I think it's a mistake. There's other talent here in the offense. I, I'm not sure if Ryan is still at his full effectiveness. I know Arthur Smith is a creative coach, and he was pretty good with his tight ends. Not that Johnny Smith was blowing up the league or anything, but I think, look, the point is this. It's probably fun to draft Kyle Pitts, and it's fun to imagine that he's a unicorn, but if you bet on those things as being reality, I think you'd be so far in the red. I I don't draft Kyle Pitts until the room gives you a decent price. And so far, I'm not seeing it. I am torn between everything you just said, which is very sensible. And, you know, the possibility that he is just this unicorn type freak, a guy whose reach is actually longer than Calvin Johnson's, a guy who, I mean, just popped my eyes out of my head when I watched him last fall play. Like, I mean, this guy does look pretty special. I agree, though, like the the historical track record is pretty rough for rookie tight ends. And a lot of those rookie tight ends weren't competing for targets with Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. So I do think it's a stretch to imagine that he's going to be an impact player right away. I mean, I have been doing best falls and I've been seeing him go in like the sixth round right now. And I do think that is probably a little bit of a stretch. And uh, at that price, I, I don't think I'm going to really be getting him. But, boy, he's enticing. I, I want to get at least one share of him somewhere. But uh, I, I completely understand your points and think I largely agree with them. You know, maybe this sounds like a cheap hedge, but sometimes when I'm out on the buzzy players, I do like just to get that one share for one <laughs> In baseball, I have one Otani share. I was not a proactive Shohei Otani drafter, but I have him on one team. And so if he blows up the game, breaks it, and wins the MVP award, at least that one team of mine is getting something out of it. So maybe I'll do one of those late FOMO drafts, and I'll be like, okay, I'm kind of out on pits, but at least if I have him on this one team and he ends up breaking the game, at least I didn't go totally over. I'm not sure that's even a winning strategy to put that forward, but uh, I'll give that to you anyway. Um, Before we go back to the fades, just because we mentioned tight ends, do you have a a really quick, just a, a... fortune cookie length or tweet length strategy on tight end. I'm getting a lot of Tyler Higby. I think he's mispriced. I think his ADP will rise two, three, four slots when we get into the teeth of draft season. 
We saw what he could do at the end of 2019. Everett is gone now. Stafford's a quarterback upgrade. I, I think all the boxes are checked for Tyler Higby. And right now the market has not adjusted to the right price. Sure. Um, avoid the second tier. That would be my my favorite strategy because I have tried to get the second tier, be a little cost effective and go for the guys like OJ Howard and uh, betting OJ Howard and David Njoku on the com. It's been just a, a disastrous strategy in leagues in the past. So I've kind of learned from that. I am either going to, and it's very rare that I do pay up for the Kelsey or the Kittle. I have at times, I've had some pretty good luck with Travis Kelsey in the past, but it was kind of the distance past like five years ago, more the Alex Smith era of uh, of Kelsey. And lately it's just been kind of dumpster diving, realizing that I'm going to whiff. Maybe I can get something on the waiver wire. I was quick on the draw on Robert Tunyon in a few leagues last year, which is probably the most success I've had with the tight end in uh, any redraft league in, in years. So I mostly cut corners and uh, just hammer wide receiver and, and running back in the early rounds. You have a cheap tight end for me. Are you a Ferkser guy? You a Troutman guy? Or? Boy, I mean, I like Higby too. I think I'm above consensus on Higby. I'm kind of curious to see what Gerald Everett does. Although Seattle tight ends have, have kind of disappointed me before. Yeah, I mean Higby is about. That's actually one of my favorites for this year too. Talking to Pat Fitzmorris of the Football Girl and, and other fantasy football entities. We'll get back to the fade list. Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders are both on your fade list. Uh, they're going to be second-round picks, I think, in every league. Mixon was somebody I thought was a pretty safe pick last year, and it had totally collapsed. The Bengals think they've fixed their offense. The line should be better. They obviously add Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow, I thought, was having an okay rookie year. I wouldn't say he was playing great. He certainly wasn't having the Justin Herbert experience, but I thought he was okay. But then you know, he gets hurt, major injury. We'll see how his rehab goes. Uh, talk about why... And I guess I could even throw David Montgomery in here, who who played very, very well, very well at the end of last season. So these are people that they're going to be high end RB twos or maybe even low end RB ones for the people who draft them. And it sounds like you're not interested in taking any of these guys. You can go anywhere you want. Uh, Mixon, Sanders, and Montgomery are early fades for you. Tell us about it. Well, uh, let's start with Mixon since you brought him up first. And, and Scott, I could coast through this entire podcast using some of your pet phrases, and I'll use one here. Prove it year. I need a prove it year from Joe Mixon right, at me. this point. Uh, a show me year. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been an overly eager Joe Mixon investor for the last couple of years, and I think I have to just you know get off the ride right now uh, before he hurts me anymore. Especially with Bengals, I think making the wrong decision on draft night to, to go with Chase over uh, Panay Sewell and you know the the left tackle that Burrow so badly needs. I, I just would have felt so much better about this offense with a, a stud left tackle there. And um, so, yeah, I'm kind of out on Mixon. I mean, we saw that when Burrow was healthy last year, that was a really pass-heavy team, too. Mixon does catch passes, but, I mean, now they've got T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd. You know, I don't think there's room for a, a back to have a Saquon Barkley-type pass-catching role in that offense. Um, you know, and and... They drafted Chris Evans. They brought in Samaje P. Ryan as a banger. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I can't believe that Mixon is like a, a good bet to suddenly emerge as an RB1 when it seems like the situation is stacked against him a little bit. Montgomery, I mean, just simple numbers. Like last year, Tariq Cohen got hurt and they had no one else behind Montgomery. They had Ryan Null and, and Cordero Patterson as the backup running backs. I mean, Ryan Null couldn't even get in the get on the field. They just threw Patterson in there, like you're our backup now. So now that's not going to happen. They they've signed Damian Williams. Uh, Cohen is back. You know, even if I I think Cohen is a little overrated, uh, even as a, a pass passing down back. I don't think he's really that good. But they do have him. They do have Daryl, uh, and they drafted what. Uh, Leal Herbert, I think. So the running back room is full again. I just don't see Montgomery having that every down role necessarily again. Uh, and who was the other guy? Miles yeah, Sanders. Miles Sanders, yeah. Yeah, this one, this wasn't this is a tough one because I've been a big Miles Sanders advocate, but boy, they bring in Jordan Howard, they draft uh Kenneth Gainwell, and I'm drawing a huge blank on the other running back. Oh, they just signed Carry on Johnson. 
They still have so, Boston Scott too, I think. Boston right? Scott, yeah. I mean, I guess they just don't want Sanders to be a heavy lifter in this offense, which is kind of disappointing because I I think he's got that three down skill set, but you know, I just don't think we're going to see it, and I don't expect this to be a really prolific offense either. Maybe a decent offense. I do like Jalen Hurts, but I don't think it's going to be a top ten offense. And there's a gift and a curse when you have a player like Hurts. Uh, I would say Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray are like this too, where it's chicken egg, right? You, some people say, hey, running quarterback, it's going to widen the defense. Look at those rushing lanes. It's, you know, the, the yards per carry for the back you know, will go up. And those things are generally true. But at the goal line, it might be Lamar Jackson running the ball in or Jalen Hurts running the ball in or Kyler Murray running the ball in. If you needed Arizona rushing touchdowns last year, well, they were going to Kyler Murray. They weren't going to to do the, uh, you know, certainly weren't going to Chase Edmonds, who was a guy I whiffed on last year. I don't really don't know what to do with him this year. So Sanders, I think, has a pretty modest touchdown upside. I, I can't see him scoring more than like, I don't know, five or six touchdowns. I mean, I haven't looked at the ADPs recently, so this might just be silly to even pause it. But if Miles Sanders goes in front of Antonio Gibson in any league, I think it's a colossal mistake. And, and for all I know, maybe that's already sorted itself out on ADP. But I think you make an interesting case on all three guys. I'm with you on the Bengals. I think Sewell was the right pick. I mean, I get it. Burrow, Chase, you know, we, we, we've seen a lot of this in the NFL this year, right? I mean, ETN and Lawrence played together. Uh, they they hooked up Tua with an Alabama receiver. They hook up uh, the LSU guys in Cincinnati, but they already had good receivers. It's not like that was the weakness of the team. And we saw what the weakness of the team was last year, that Burrow got the absolute tar kicked out of them because they couldn't block. And, and Burrow was stubborn enough to hold the ball. I mean, some of that was on Burrow and his inexperience, but I would have given him whatever he quarterback needs most which is a, a pillar on the edge and, and to just keep that guy upright i think sewell would have been the right pick and they still could have gotten a good receiver so i agree with you on that i'll mention some guys i'm fading at the running back position i know the cowboys paid zeke and they love zeke and they're not gonna mothball zeke but i think tony pollard might be just as good and i think this offense might be finally ready to transition and i'm hoping that Dak gets you know Dak prescott's healthy but if he is mark cooper's a star C.D. Lamb has even a higher upside, I think, than Cooper. Uh, Michael Gallup is kind of a specialty player for them now, but he's still really, really good piece and somebody who can at least kind of move the defense around, take the top off the defense. I hope they get Blake Jarwin back off his injury. I thought he was going to have a great year last year and he get hurt right away. But I think Tony Pollard's good. I think Zeke's overpaid. I think this team is better served throwing the ball. And even Prescott will probably get four to six rushing touchdowns. I the days of Zeke being in the early first round, I think are out the window for everybody, but I don't even want to consider him in the first round. I'm out on him. And Melvin Gordon's a guy, again, new regime, new coach, new organization. They're not tied to Gordon. What did they do? They brought in Mike Boone from Minnesota. They traded up to draft Williams on, on draft day. They're telling you that they're not sold on Gordon. We inherited this guy. And not that Melvin Gordon's a stiff by any means, but when they're basically recruiting to add to your position or recruiting over your head with the draft pick they made, that to me, because look, when teams talk to us, we have to take it with a grain of salt. I think almost 80 or 90% of coach speak and GM speak goes out the window. But when they act, that's when they actually are speaking to us. So I'm I'm out on Zeke. I'm, I'm firmly out on Gordon. I'm curious if you have a take on either of those guys. I am kind of with you on Zeke. Uh, I, I love that the offense is going to be capable of scoring a lot um although i I don't think that offensive line is what it used to be and and in zeke's best years i mean that offensive line was just a a force so yeah and i i really like tony pollard i think i've got tony pollard in like more than half of my dynasty league so it's hard for me to disagree with that point uh you know with the melvin gordon thing scott i feel like you're getting back at me for my brady take earlier on since melvin gordon is a wisconsin badger yeah i mean it's hard for me to argue uh with you on that since their moves do suggest that they see a diminished role for gordon um you know although i do think gordon has kind of been an underrated player it seems like people have been trying to a lot of fantasy managers have been sort of dismissing him for a while sort of uh you know wanting austin eckler to to take over the full load there when you know a a gordon eckler platoon was working perfectly well so it it might be a little hard for Javante Williams to come in and completely cast him aside but I do think it would be a mistake to think that Melvin Gordon is still like a you know mid 
RB2 value. I think you have to get more of a discount than that if you're going to consider taking him in early middle rounds of a draft. Yeah, I'll agree that in previous seasons, I was somewhat of a Gordon sympathizer because the idea would be a lot of the fantasy football populace would say, well, look, look at these efficiency metrics. You know, He's really not that good. And I would say, well, as long as the team thinks he's good and they give him 18, 20 touches, they give him catches, they give him goal line work, you get to follow the usage, you know, if, as long as he's a capable player, he doesn't have to be a star player, the way he was getting used and getting funneled touchdowns. It's funny because he famously couldn't score a touchdown, I think, his rookie year. And then since then, he's, he's kind of lived and feasted off some of those short touchdowns, which, which keep our fantasy bottom lines uh, nice and fat. So I, I've been generally pro Gordon. It's just the, the way they've addressed the position in the offseason has made me worried about that. You have Raheem Mostert on your fade list. And, and one of the things that I'm fading this year is, even though I think San Francisco's pass-catching group uh, include Kittle in there, include Ayuk, include Debo Samuel, I think they're all wonderful. But I think Kyle Shanahan wants to run the ball down to people's throats. We're not sure exactly when Trey Lance, when that era is going to start. I, I guess it could be week one. It could be week five. It could be week 12. They could redshirt him for all I know. He's one of the youngest prospects at the position. We know they're not in love with Garoppolo. If he's playing, I think that might temper the offense. They might not want to throw the ball all over the lot. I also think the defense might be good enough that they can win physically and, and beat teams 24 to 20. So even though I love Samuel and I love Ayuk and I love Kittle, I don't see myself drafting those guys. You said that you're out on Mostert. Uh, just talk it all anywhere you want on this offense. And I also, I, I think there might be somebody in this offense you're excited to draft. Maybe you could touch on him too. Yeah, so, um, and and that's mainly it. I'm excited to draft Trey Sermon, which is why I'm kind of out on Mostert. And from what I've seen in best balls, Mostert is going consistently ahead of Sermon in drafts. I mean, I think it should be the other way around. You know, maybe we'll get that uh, Amir Abdullah moment in the preseason where we see the Trey Sermon run that gets people excited and jumps his, his value three rounds uh, to the point where he is being drafted ahead of Mostert. But it's interesting, Scott. I mean, this Kyle Shanahan slash Mike Shanahan zone running system, I mean, it's been, I think we can say that it's been pretty consistently successful. We've seen it turn guys like, uh, you know, Tatum Bell and Mike Anderson and uh, Steve Slayton and Alfred Morris into stars, league winners. And I mean, boy, the, both of the Shanahan's have, have done that with some pretty pedestrian backs, some real jobbers who they have thrown in and, and you know, milked thousand yard seasons out of. Um, but the, the few times in the Shanahan family history that we have seen exceptional talents get to play that role, Clinton Portis or Mike Shanahan in Denver, Terrell Davis or Mike Shanahan in Denver. I mean, it's been pretty special and pretty spectacular. And if Sermon is that kind of guy, I don't know that he is. I know my new colleague at Football Guys, Matt Waldman, actually did have Sermon as his number one back in this year's class, which sounds kind of hot takey, but, you know, Matt's kind of gone against the grain on some things before. He had uh, Marshawn Lynch ranked ahead of Adrian Peterson. Very hot takey on the surface at the time. But in hindsight, it's almost kind of a defensible point of view. Um, I think they're both Hall of Famers. Peterson will get in. I think Lynch should get in. Yeah. He had Nick Chubb ahead of Saquon Barkley. So, like, Matt's not totally out of left field on these things. I know he loves Sermon's ability to change direction without gearing down. Just, like, change direction, not lose any speed. And it seems like that is just perfect for a Shanahan system. The 49ers traded up to get this guy. I mean, I don't think pedigree is everything. We talked about this with James Robinson earlier, but, you know, Mostert was kind of a non-factor at Purdue. His first couple of years in the NFL, he was a special teams guy. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, the Shanahan, well, Kyle Shanahan decided to utilize that speed and, and you know, he picked up on the zone system really quickly and uh, it's worked pretty well. So I don't want to totally diss Mostert, but, I mean, Sermon definitely has better pedigree they aggressively move to get him you know i kind of want to see what happens with this guy and the nice thing is right now you're getting sermon at that committee back price uh in those best ball adps i was mentioning earlier i think since the draft sermon has been running back 32 in ffpc and running back 40 in fanball and um 
boy, you know, if you draft him at that price and you get a committee back, that's just fine. If you draft him at that price and get, you know, the second coming of Clinton Portis or Terrell Davis, uh, you're probably going to be one of the higher scorers in your league. One, you know, when I look at why I really like to step into best ball now, I mean, part of it is getting the reps and just getting familiar with the player pool. But it also speaks to sometimes you can just get opportunities to buy a player at a mispriced ADP and it's going to correct. And I think there's a good chance that Sermon could become one of those players who becomes a little trendy in the FS in the um, fantasy football community. And then it's like by July, it's like, oh, remember when we were getting Trey Sermon in the eighth or ninth round? Because it's out the window now because now he's like a fourth or fifth round pick. Maybe he passes. You know, maybe that puff piece comes puff piece comes out that he's passed most of it on the depth chart or they've been doing things in camp. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get news right now. A lot of teams won't let reporters in a practice. And, you know, you ha- again, you have to be really careful with your BS detector and all that. But I feel like there's an opportunity with Sermon now in some of those early drafts that you may not have later in the summer. And I think getting in on that would be a good idea. If, if I can add one more thing real quickly, Scott, uh, just the one thing that might help keep that ADP tamped down throughout the summer it's a really crowded running back room in San Francisco right now with uh, Jeff Wilson, who flashed last year and seems to be a, a Shanahan Pats. They brought in Wayne Gallman. They also drafted uh, what Elijah Mitchell. Um, and I'm forgetting someone else, Jamichael Hasty, who had a, a brief moment in the sun last year. So and they will use, they will use huge check a little bit. He'll get the ball sometimes. That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, like they've got more guys than they can keep on the team right now. Uh, so maybe just with that crowded room, that's going to frighten some people away from Sermon, uh, you know, unless we do get that big preseason performance that spikes his value in the heart of draft season. Let me throw out one more fade that I have. It, it's on one player, but it spills over to everybody else. I, I think Ben Roethlisberger, I don't think he's in the back nine. I think he's on the 18th hole and, and probably in the rough. And last year, his yards per attempt collapsed. We know he famously doesn't want to do play action, which is like one of the cheat codes of the NFL. And Rutherford is comfortable turning his back to the defense. And even though the Steelers always have this unbelievable receiver room, and I, there's been a lot of talk about, is that luck? Is that, did they doing something right? Do they develop guys? I, you can, different schools of thought on that. But even though I like Deontay Johnson, a couple of years ago, I loved Juju Smith-Schuster. I think Chase Claypool is a special talent. James Washington's not a bad player. But I know I'm not going to draft Roethlisberger. I don't think you get a full season out of him. He's only played 16 games, I think, four times. A little bit of just an injury history with him, a little bit of a diva history with him. And then it becomes a question of, well, if I don't trust Roethlisberger, maybe I don't want to draft Deontay Johnson, which I thought I wanted to do. Maybe I don't want to draft Chase Claypool, which I thought I wanted to do. And what did the Steelers do on draft day? They doubled down on identity. We're going to run the ball. We've drafted a running back in the first round, even though you're not supposed to. We fortified the offensive line. I think they're going to rededicate themselves to being a run-first team. I'm down on Roethlisberger, which isn't really a big take. There's a million good quarterbacks. If you don't want Roethlisberger, you'll find somebody else. But I think if I'm down on Roethlisberger, I have to be maybe under market on the receivers. What do you think of the Pittsburgh passing game? Yeah, I'm kind of with you, and there's no real hope of resuscitation if anything goes wrong with Roethlisberger uh, behind him with what Dwayne Haskins, Mason Rudolph. So, yeah, and you know you've got three wide receivers who are all inside like the wide receiver three cut line. I mean, you've got Deontay and uh, Chase Claypool going. I think is kind of low end wide receiver two types, and and Juju is maybe sort of a high to mid wide receiver three. Yeah. Um, and plus, you know, Eric Ebron, it's not like they have a nobody at, at tight end and they drafted Friermuth. So boy, it just seems like, yeah, uh, these guys are going to be a, a bit target starved. And we saw just these ridiculously low a dots for these guys last year. I mean, Juju's a dot at one point was like five, something I want to say, like not making plays downfield, not getting enough targets, it's going to be hard to take these guys at a price low enough in drafts, I think. And like you, I I do like all these guys individually, but boy, uh, it just seems like it's going to be a a tough situation for them. And there's going to be a lot of disappointment at the current ADPs. It was frustrating to watch the low A dot, the, the dink and dunk offense. I thought they were a very easy team to defend last year. And again, I think there's going to be a transition to the scope of that offense. 
Uh, Pat, we talked a lot about Aaron Rodgers on the show last week, so we didn't want him to be the featured guy on this program. But you're a Wisconsin guy, Packers fan. You're close to the situation. And who, who knows? Maybe you're, you even have Aaron Rodgers' cell phone number, which I hear like only five people in the world have. But you have an interesting take on the Rodgers situation. And I think we, we would be remiss if we didn't get it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, go. Are you asking me to share all my insider knowledge as an actual Green Bay Packers owner? Because yes, I, I am, in fact, yes, an owner, Scott. I've got one of those, uh, you know, ceremonial. So you're the guy who pissed off Rodgers. When, 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 when Rodgers is management, <laughs> it's, it's really it's really Pat Fitzmaurice who's, you know, who's who's turned him against the Packer organization. Is that, is that have that correct? <laughs> What's funny is, is this uh, bizarre ownership situation in Green Bay might actually be what keeps Rodgers in Green Bay. I don't know if Brian Gutekunst, the Packers general manager, has the ability to act unilaterally on any sort of Rodgers trade. I mean, I know people in Denver and and Broncos fans think it's a fait accompli that he's going to be traded to Denver around June 1st. But I think Gutekunst would have to get sign off from the team president, Mark Murphy. I think, uh, you know, Mark Murphy answers to an executive committee that I believe is is seven people, including himself. So he would probably uh, have to get approval from a majority of that group. Uh, the executive committee is a subset of a 40 some person board of directors. It gets weird. I, I don't think it's just going to be one or two people signing off on this. If If there's some sort of big trade offer, I think it would have to be a truly organizational decision to move on and you're moving on from a a walk-in hall of fame quarterback. You've had two walk-in hall of fame quarterbacks come back to back. You know, you know, everyone on that board of directors might be six feet underground by the time we see another hall of fame quarterback play for green Bay. You know, it's, it's going to be a really tough thing to build consensus on within the leadership structure of the Packers. So I, tend to think that they're going to work it out. It's just a guess. You know, it wouldn't certainly wouldn't shock me if he was dealt, but I, if I had to put money on it, I think he stays and, and finishes his career in Green Bay. I think the odds of him being traded this summer are extremely low, like 5%. That may be even lower than that. Yeah. I mean, you talked about how hard it is to do a deal in the NFL and to do one in the summer. It's It's just such a rare thing. And we're going to see a blockbuster in the summer where, Denver is giving up multiple first round picks and, you know, existing players on the roster. If the Packers do a deal like that, they're going to have to get back a, a Bradley Chubb, a Jerry Judy, guys that the draft is behind us. The, the Broncos can't easily replace. So right. yeah, the timing doesn't make sense. And keep in mind, Jordan Love, their first round pick uh, from the previous year. He was the third string quarterback last year. He didn't dress. He didn't play. He didn't. I mean, whatever he picked up from the meetings and practice is all nice and good, but they have no idea if he can play. They have nothing on him right now. Right. And he might still be third string behind uh, the great Blake Bortles recently. <laughs> well, won't that be a fun quarterback room? I've been talking to Pat Fitzmaurice from the, the footballgirl.com and a uh, member of Football Guys now. Going to do this. This is to be really quick. You only get a one-sentence answer. I'd prefer a one-word answer. I'm going to speed round you a little bit, okay? Just don't, don't think. Just spit out an answer. Is Tua Tagliavola good? Yes. Is Sam Darnold hopeless? No. Is New York pizza better than Chicago pizza? Yes. I have family in New York. I, I got to admit that. And uh, especially Chicago tavern cut thin crust is terrific and underrated, but that the pan stuff is just an abomination. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a thin crust guy too. Are the Brewers going to be in the playoffs this year? No, not enough offense. This is a hard one for me. Somebody recently asked me to name my top five Beatles songs. We don't have time for five. What's in, no? Don't think here. Don't go deep. What's your favorite Beatles song? You get one pick. Something. Great call. Great call. Uh, I went with Here Comes the Sun, which is interesting, just going with a, a George Harrison song. And he's great. George Harrison is wonderful. But, you know, obviously the Beatles or, you know, Lennon McCartney is, is the fulcrum of that band but that song just always puts me in a good mood plus i love the idea that joe posnanski the sports writer used to sing that song to his daughter when she was an infant and they never spoke of it he just he would sing it to her when she was a toddler and then when when she was 13 or 14 they started talking about the beatles and he said what's your favorite beatles song and she said here comes the sun 
and they had never spoken about it. He just sang it to her when she was an infant. I, there's just something cool about that song. So there's a little speed round. We went long with, with Pat Fitzmorris. We, we got some fades. We got some Jaguar talk. We got some Packer talk. Uh, we got some pizza talk, which is going to rile up Andy Barron's. So the next time you see Barron's, he'll probably be throwing the elbows, be on the lookout for that. Uh, Pat, what are you working on and, and where can people keep up with you? Rankings are now complete. The initial set of redraft and uh, dynasty rankings, uh, the dynasty rankings were spruced a, a week or two ago. So those can be found at thefootballgirl.com. And also if you're a football guy subscriber alongside uh, my colleagues rankings, uh, I guess pretty soon I'll be doing some longer form writing about some of these players. Uh, looking forward to digging into that. And uh, I guess people can find my podcast fits on fantasy wherever podcasts are found. And uh, on Twitter, you can get me at Fitz underscore FF. I can't say enough how much I love the podcast, in, in part because man, you get that great theme song. I always think it's the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, but but it's not. But uh, you get great guests. You have wonderful conversations on that show. I, I can't thank you enough. And uh, hey, if podcasts are your thing, we got a suite of podcasts at Yahoo, which I hope you enjoy. If you're into college sports, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with the three-man team of Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our old friend, friend Pat Forty, now at Sports Illustrated, they've been doing their thing for a while, and they do it really, really well. The NBA playoffs have just started. Posted up with Chris Haynes. We'll give you all your NBA stuff. The Bucks going all the way this year, Pat? Oh, man. Uh, I'd like to say yes, but I kind of think not. There's something I don't know. Who's, you know man. what? I think the NBA playoffs are going to be more fun this year because I don't think they're an obvious behemoth favorite. Usually the NBA is about like right. two or three teams can win and everybody else is is on the outside looking in and and there are some teams this year that got good that you know the jazz are really good and the suns are really good i think it's going to be a really fun playoff side the nba is the the sport of the four majors if you want to call five majors with golf it's the sport i care about the least but i am a playoffs guy and i I think it's going to be a really fun nba playoffs yeah wide open this year it will be fun to watch good stuff well again we've had a blast talking to pat i want to thank him for joining us today thank Brett Rader, our fearless leader of podcast, keeping us on the air and sounding good. I'm Scott Pianowski. If you want to follow me on Twitter, Scott underscore Pianowski. And of course, Yahoo Fantasy is part of the Twitter scope as well. That's our program. We hope you had fun. Uh, again, you know, Big Pizza has been slammed. There will be controversy when we convene in the Chicago area. I hope we get to play some golf this year, Pat. Thanks again for joining us. We'll have another show later this week. I don't know what it's about, but it will be great. Until then, straight cash, homie. Keep cashing those tickets. Keep drafting those best ball leagues. Draft season has started. We'll talk to you soon. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.